pretty soon after I knew I was going to um, seminary, there is this website that, that emerged out of the ether. Um, it's changed a lot since then, but it was called the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they realized that the was the, a little unnecessary, so now it's, it's called Facebook. But the first way it rolled out was with college email addresses. And it was specific. It rolled out to, to new colleges. It started at Harvard and then just a few years there. And so uh, right when it was starting to expand down the East Coast, I was accepted to Duke. And so I had a duke.edu email address. And so I got I was like, okay, what is this thing to do? It's like, okay, there's people who are doing it. It's a way to connect. I'm moving to a completely new state. I don't know anybody around. A way to kind of have some connections with some people. And one of the aspects of it, and the early part is, if you've seen the, the movie The Social Network, um, it was basically, it was created off of a, a yearbook as a way of uh, just putting that online so people could see people's faces. After the first program, Mark Zuckerberg wrote, which was just like rating people's faces um, and just having pictures of women and then judging them. Like, so this is, that's where Facebook began, was we're going to change this misogynist ideology to a little more, still kind of the same thing, but still going on. Okay, didn't know that history, but it's going on. But one of the aspects was it was your relationship status, and this was such a big deal for so long on this for, for the young people, for people in college, because it's a big deal for people in college. And it was like, are you dating? Are you single? Are you married? Um, or it's complicated. This <laughs> 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 covers a whole gamut. Uh, and I've, I've been thinking about that because of the way, in certain contexts, the way relationship is used. And how we, we all have relationships with everything we interact with. We have relationships in our lives, with friendships. But if you're um, talking to your 16-year-old daughter and she mentions she has a relationship with someone, it's, it's like, this is different. This is a different kind of relationship that I'm used to hearing about. In those kind of contexts, it's different. It's kind of, it's a, um, in the book of Judges, it's called a shibboleth. It's a, it's a specific, it's a code word that there's this, this scene in Judges where these, um, they don't know which of, they're on two sides of the river, and one tribe is really hostile and one tribe is not. Um, but they pronounce the word differently. And one, one side of the river says sibilant, and the other side says shibilant. And so you know which, which is from which tribe because they look alike, they sound alike, most of their accent is the exact same pronouncing, except for this one so often, so that's the kind of, it's the same thing with relationship for people who you know aren't used to being in a relationship when they mention that. It's like, oh, this is, this is interesting. I'm going to pay attention to you now. Um, not that you weren't paying attention to your daughter before, but still. But there's a weightiness to the relations that we have. There's a weightiness. When someone says they're going to get married, when someone says they're having their 25th, their 50th anniversary, there's a, a weightiness to what's going on. And I think as we continue in this series of the Song of Songs, we need to consider that, that weightiness of, of romantic relationships and the weightiness involved in the poetry here. And not, you don't have to be married to see that there is a weightiness to it. To see that my, my parents had their 49th anniversary two weeks ago. Um, and some of you have had many more anniversaries since then. That is a long time to talk to the same person. <laughs> it doesn't matter all the things 
everything else involved. It's just, it is a long time to do that. Um, there is a weightiness to that that's beyond, that's beyond the romance, beyond any of that. My friends, we are continuing our series on the Song of Songs, on titled God's Love Song. This often overlooked book of the Bible, sometimes called the Song of Solomon, has been a resource and inspiration and controversy over the years. As I said last week, in the early church, they wouldn't let some people read it. It was too scandalous. They wouldn't let children read it. They wouldn't let new Christians read it because they'd be taking it the wrong way. As one of the early church fathers wrote, though, this is the song sung by the Holy Spirit for the marriage of Christ and the church. It is an allegory. It is an allegory. It points to something beyond itself. It is still this marriage song, this wedding song, this song of lovers, but it is also this wedding song of Christ for the church sung by the Holy Spirit. And that is how we get to Pentecost. Pentecost is often understood as Holy Spirit Day. Yay, Holy Spirit Day. Everybody's included. Um, the Spirit descends on the upper room as well as it ascends out into the crowds of the people at Jerusalem. It is easy to associate and limit Pentecost to Pentecostal actions. So think about speaking in tongues, raising your hands, dancing, all these kinds of things, fires. But this, is, this would limit what the Holy Spirit does. And there's so much more. It is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is not a few people on fire. It is a transflagration of the world. I love that word. Never get a chance to use it. It's a fire that goes on and on and transforms things. Transflagration. It's fantastic. But that's what Pentecost is. It's a transflagration of the world. It covers the world and keeps burning and keeps churning and changing. The Holy Spirit is present now. The Holy Spirit was not created at Pentecost. But how we understand it radically changed. God is Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Next week is officially Trinity Sunday, but really every Sunday is Trinity Sunday. Um, If there was no Trinity, there wouldn't be a church. We wouldn't exist. If there was no Trinity, Jesus couldn't save anybody. If there wasn't a Trinity, God would just be really, really far away (laughs) judging us. Oftentimes, that's the God that's presented, that God really is just far away in the clouds and judging us and looking to make sure we don't watch the other thing and we watch the good things and we we talk in the nice tone. That is not the God presented in the Bible because God is triune. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is present now with us. My favorite analogy of the Trinity is lover, beloved, and the love between the lover and the beloved. God the Father is the lover. God the Son is the beloved. And the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. That is what is going on in the passage from the Gospel of John that Karen read. No person of the Trinity, though, is entirely equivalent with their action. Though sometimes it's easy to fall into that mindset, the same way we think that the Holy Spirit is just this or that thing. Or some may say, talk about God as creator, redeemer, sustainer instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is, this is an ancient heresy called modalism, which is one of the easier heresies to pronounce. <laughs> modalism. Um, and that's thinking of God as different modes of action, as opposed to three persons in one being. This is what happens when we limit God to these actions. We, we put human categories and say God can only act in this way. And we humans love to do that. 
We love to say God is acting in this way and only in this way, and God can't act this in this way because that would make me uncomfortable. And God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. When in fact, that's what Pentecost is about. If you have fire on your head, my dear friends, you are not comfortable. <laughs> if you look out in a room and there's fire on everybody's head, you are not comfortable. If you look out in a room and you see fire everywhere but not on your head, you are not comfortable. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not, though, found in these certain practices. The Holy Spirit is the air we breathe. The Holy Spirit pushes and pulls us towards God and our neighbor. The Holy Spirit is the love, the possibility of love in each of our lives. And so that brings us to our super confusing passage from the Song of Songs. All of the passages are super confusing, so we should not be more confused than other. But this is, this is, a, this is a dinger. Um, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among maidens. As an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. First, a little context on this and some other passages. In the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, there are a lot of compliments. There are a lot of endearments, and I think this is important for us to understand it in a proper way. As one of my teachers put it, the exchange of endearments here partakes of the ordinary grammar of love's election. Claims of this sort which lovers make to one another, usually when alone, do not for us mean that we think of those to whom we say them as according to some external public checklist or criteria, more beautiful or more important or more interesting than anybody else. We mean instead that they are these things for us. We have elected them, chosen them, set them apart, and in that way constituted them as beloved. To compliment someone is not to insult another person. To say my wife is beautiful does not for me to say that everyone else is ugly. That is not the same thing. As well, if we are in a place of singleness in our lives, the existence of other people speaking endearments does not cast judgment upon us. Similarly, to a situation of being a person of faith, Having a relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not itself a judgment of people who do not. And someone who does not have faith is not standing in judgment against those who do. Endearments, though, are a mark of vulnerability. In love, we are never found in the place where we ultimately wish to be. This is especially the case for God's love for us. And so today I want to hone in on this one, this one phrase, as a lily among brambles as a lily among brambles, sometimes translated as thorns. We are not born complete, my friends. And faith and love and work and dreams, from even before we are born, our bodies develop. They change. They grow. Babies are born with soft skulls and a lot of cartilage. They continually grow and transform in their minds as they grow and learn languages. They learn practices and habits and, and hopefully, hopefully some manners, maybe. <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> As we age, our bodies cease to grow, and then, unfortunately, they start breaking apart. <laughs> and the, but that is still change. <laughs> it is still changes go, that go on that we have to deal with in order to be human. And as our minds age so often, they cease to grow and become fixed and our expectations become fixed. 
And our ideas of what is possible for us become fixed. We think, oh, I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. I, I, don't, I don't like that thing. Think about example. I think thinking about food is really helpful in this. Think about the foods you like or you dislike. So often, that's just because of our experience with them. Oh, I don't like Indian food. It tastes like this. Well, like, have you tried it? Have you had much of it? No, I had it once, and that was it. Well, that's probably doesn't tell you anything about it. It could have just been a bad cook. <laughs> like, there's bad cooks in all types of cuisine. <laughs> But the kind of way that to grow in something, to expand your palate, to expand your horizons, you have to try it and experience it. And so often, as we age, as, as I can speak for myself, but I'm assuming for many of us, that we get to a point where we think, okay, this is what I like and what I don't like, and I don't want to change from there. I've had enough go on in my life. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to try that thing. That's it. We close off to ourselves the possibility of vulnerability, of transformation. We also assume so often that the brambles of life are eternal. When we find ourselves in those fields of thorns, we think this is it. This is life. This is all that can be. And so I want to read two different interpretations of this phrase. The first is from about the 8th century by a dude named Bede. It's a name you don't hear often enough anymore. Bede. This is what he said. Not only do those do you have to suffer evil things from those who are strangers to you in every way, both in thought and profession, but very often you are also sharply goaded by the shamelessness of those same souls that you rejoice to have accepted among the number of your daughters through the font of rebirth, that is baptism, and through faith in the reception of the heavenly sacraments. That's through communion. Bede points to the brambles of a person of faith inside and outside the church. To be a Christian so often is to be ashamed of other Christians. It's one of the most universal Christian thoughts around the world. Every Christian, no matter the denomination, has at one point been ashamed of another Christian for something that they have done or haven't done. Judas Iscariot was one of the twelve. At the Last Supper, Jesus knew he was going to betray him, but didn't kick him out. Just mentioned it. The church has never been a place where Christians have not caused shame to one another in some form or fashion. In a similar way, from before the birth of Christ, what the witness of the Hebrew scriptures shows us is that this has been the case since the beginning of all humanity. God offers people a gift. Some refuse it, some accept it. Those who accept it over time often distort it and change it. We see this especially with King Solomon, King Solomon, the son of David given the gift of wisdom, and yet over time, he forgets where that gift came from. We must admit this reality. Christians are presented, for me, sometimes in the media, in ways that make me uncomfortable, that don't describe my faith. I hear people talking about, well, Christians do this or don't do that. And it's like, I don't do any of those things. Those are sometimes the brambles that Bede is talking about. Inside and outside the church, we are confronted. And yet God is faithful. Yet still a lily. We are still a lily among the brambles, beautiful to God. I am a beloved child of God. You are a beloved child of God. Jean, Jean Guyon, who is a 17th century French mystic, 
goes in another direction with the same single phrase. But in the same way that the lily keeps both its purity and its odor among the thorns without being the least damaged, so also these souls are kept by their bridegroom in the middle of the vexations they suffer from those who imply love to lead themselves and to multiply themselves in their own practices, having no docility whatsoever in following the movement of grace. I love that phrase, no docility in following the movement of grace. When we are not flexible to God moving in our lives. And I think that happens, my friends, that happens to me, I think that happens to all of us so often, that we are like, no, that can't be God in my life because that's not what I want God to be in my life. I'm the judge of God's action in my life. With no docility for the movement of grace. And then she goes on. A little, a little more real with the passage. I am the lily of the valleys that only grows in annihilated souls. So that if you want me to draw you from your earth and take up life in you, you must be in the last stages of annihilation. The love song of life with God begins in brambles because it begins in the brokenness of this world. And the annihilation she speaks of is the annihilation of our love for what destroys us. That we must annihilate those things that keep us from love. The pride, the jealousy, the hurt that keeps us from loving our neighbors, that distorts the love for ourselves. Life with God does not begin in the full presence of God after we die. It begins now among the brambles, among the thorns. Yet the lily of the valleys is growing and is beautiful. The Holy Spirit comes to us and brambles and declares its love for us. You are beautiful. You are beautiful and worthy of the love of God. Not just endearments, but relationships. Not just its complicated relationships. God chose you and loves you. The fire of Pentecost is the love of God for the world. God seeks you and longs to be with you. That is the whole poem. The whole poem is God longing to be with you responding to that longing and showing us how to further grow in that love. Pentecost is the love of God for the world and it begins again in each of our hearts. And then it spreads. And then it spreads. It started in that upper room. It started with those 12 awkward men. I'm sure they were very awkward, the disciples. I'm just reading into the text a little bit. Um, but it started with them. Not the best people to share a message. A few fishermen, a few farmers, some tax collectors. There weren't any like super charismatic individuals among them. People were like, oh, that's going to be a leader someday. Nobody ever said that to Peter. Ever. They did not expect to be in that place. But it began there and then it spread. And then it shared. God's love is not mutually exclusive. The fact that you are loved does not mean that other people are not loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whole world. Including everybody. The Holy Spirit does not come at Pentecost apart from the life of the disciples. God uses the friends of Jesus to share the Spirit. You are a friend of Jesus. You are meant to share the Spirit. Like a lily of the valleys, like a lily among the brambles, you are loved. And so share this love. God finds you in the brambles. You may be in the brambles right now. You may be in one of those fields that is so thick it is hard to see the light. You are a lily of the valleys. 
You are beautiful in the eyes of God. God finds you in the brambles. God seeks others in the brambles. Go be the hands and feet of God to those stuck in the brambles of life in this world. Remember your own brambles and share God's love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.